Hello, and welcome to the Arkansas Center for Health Improvement's podcast, Wonks at Work. I'm Craig Wilson, your host, a self-declared wonk, dad of two boys, native Arkansan, and I've been the health policy director at the Arkansas Center for Health Improvement for more than a decade. On this show, we aim to demystify, boil down, and unwonk, if you will, complex topics so that you can understand how the healthcare system is working or not working for you. This is our 41st episode, and over our first 40, we have dedicated a few episodes to efforts to address the opioid epidemic. Now, I won't go into detail again about the scale of the problem that we're dealing with, both in Arkansas and across the nation, but I will only say that the threat is evolving well beyond prescription opioids and certainly becoming more deadly. One of the ways that the Arkansas Center for Health Improvement is assisting on this front is through our Nalox Home program, along with our partners at the Department of Human Services. We have nearly 40 hospitals participating in the program, and in that program, we supply those hospitals with the overdose reversal drug naloxone so that they can provide it at no charge to individuals who present in their emergency departments with an overdose or to individuals who may be at risk of an overdose, maybe they have a high dosage of an opioid, or even to their family or friends uh, of those who are at risk. Now, as part of that work, we unfortunately discovered some policy barriers that were hindering our collective work in this area. So we worked with legislators to make some changes, and here's one example. So where hospitals could only dispense naloxone from the emergency room before, now they can supply it for free at any point of service, at hospital discharge, for example, or at one of their clinics, any other physician clinics or pharmacies can do it as well. And naloxone can be supplied by schools or businesses in open locations, just like defibrillators or your typical fire extinguisher. Now, the work is not done on education and awareness and prevention, on harm reduction, on treatment, or on recovery support. And here to talk about that with us and about his work in this space is Dr. Mike Wilson, who we don't think we're related, by the way. Are you sure? Uh, <laughs> uh, he's an associate professor of emergency medicine at the University of Arkansas for Medical Sciences, or UAMS. And he's working on a complementary program to the naloxone program that we are running to help patients with opioid use disorders. He's also the chair of the Coalition on Psychiatric Emergencies and the director of the UAMS Department of Emergency Medicine Behavioral Emergencies Research. Thanks, Dr. Wilson, apparently unrelated, for adding a new title as podcast guest. And welcome to our show. I am honored to be here. Thank you for having me. All right. So uh, before we get to the more serious stuff, I want to know what keeps you busy when you're not working. And I know as an emergency doc, it's tough not to work. (laughs) (laughs) I feel like I should say doing podcasts uh, with with (laughs) you is what keeps me. But uh, no, in my in my off time. And you're right. uh, The emergency department is one of the few branches of healthcare that works 24 seven. So um, we're, we're almost always doing something, uh, but uh, I love to uh, bike ride. Um, yeah. The Two Rivers State Park and the Arkansas River Trail is phenomenal for those yeah. of you who haven't been on it. 
and uh, I love to do some indoor rock climbing. Oh, awesome. My kids are just now getting into that and they love it. Uh, the the Cli- Little Rock Climbing Center out, uh, out west. Yeah. Yeah. We give them some free publicity. They are amazing. And uh, I'll make an offer. Anyone listening, if you climb with me, we'll talk about overdose prevention every time. Uh, there you go. And you can learn something. That's right. That's right. <laughs> all right. So I asked this of all of our wonky guests. What would you say is your theme song? Um, gosh, my theme song is probably anything that uh, actually gets me out of bed and dancing in the morning. So uh, I am a huge um, Latin pop fan. I know you oh, wow. expect that from me. Yeah. So I, I, I'm going to have to go with Daddy Yankee and uh, Con Calma. It's the theme. We all need a little more calm in our life, except when we're dancing to one of his songs. That's all. I, you know what? You just expanded my horizons because that's the on our 30, 41st episode. That's the first one I've heard that I have no clue who that is. Yeah. Um, stick around after uh, Craig. We'll, we'll, uh, I'll show you the video. <laughs> <laughs> all right. So um, if you would tell us a little bit about what, what got you into this work. Okay. I'll, I'll tell you the, the answer that, that uh, everyone when, that I give when everyone asks this question. And by work, I assume you mean this research, or or do you mean work that uh, it can mean emergency medicine? It can be the opioid work in particular. Um, have at. I'll I'll tell you two stories then. Um, All right. So, and this is absolutely true. I wrote this in my personal statement for my medical school application when I was a just out of uh, or just in college, just about to graduate. I was working on Capitol Hill for a congressman. Um, who just retired, um, actually, in January. And at the end of the summer, he he had all the interns in his office. And it was a horrible summer, by the way, because I, I was poor. And I had to work eight to five in his office. And I had to work five to, you know, 10 at another job to, to yeah. buy dinner and, uh, you know, pay rent and that kind of thing in D.C. They, they don't get paid well on the Hill. They do not. Yeah, I got <laughs> with a lot of handshakes and gratitude. And that was the only paycheck I got. Uh, but at the end of the summer, he he asked, uh, he went around the room and he asked, hey, what brought you all to work in my office? And everyone gave their um, different answers. And he got to me and he said, Mike, what, you know, what brought you here? And I said, uh, well, you know, Congressman, I've always heard politicians can save more lives than doctors. And uh, <clears throat> Congressman Price, he was actually a former political science professor, a little chin scratching, you know, one of this. And he said, well, you know, Mike, that may be true, but you never get to see the effects of what you're doing. Uh, and I remember thinking, forget that. I want to see the people I'm helping. Yeah. <laughs> Plus, you want to see it immediately, right? That's right. Plus, doctoring is a whole lot more honest uh, than being a politician. <laughs> Um, so that's what got me in this line of work. And I actually got into uh, opioid prevention um, because I care about uh, suicide. Mm. Um, we have a lot of work to do in the emergency department for helping us get better at caring for these patients. And when I was a new attending, um, I lost a patient to, to mm. suicide. Um, and it was devastating for me without going into all the details, I, I obviously I've thought about this case often for the last decade. And if you're 
really trying to save lives and prevent the next suicide, you have to care about substance use disorders and particularly opioids. And we can get into some of the statistics later. But folks who um, have a substance use problem are so much more likely to end their own lives. Mm. And, and the reason of that for that, that may sound shocking, right? But the reason for that is pretty simple. If you really believe that people are doing it to get high, you don't know substance use disorders. Hmm. People who are um, using these drugs are just trying to get through the day and not hmm. feel so awful, uh, feel so awful. And that's what sub separates a substance use disorder from a casual use. And so these folks feel terrible, most of them. And the rates of suicide for someone with a substance use disorder, as I already mentioned, is much, much higher than um, other types of, of illness. Yeah. So that's why I'm here. Um, yeah. that, was a, that was a long series of two, stories. Might have been three stories. I apologize. Two great reasons, right? Yeah. So um, on the on the substance use fraud, you I, I mentioned that you, you're working on a complementary program to, to Naloxone. Uh, tell us a little bit about that, that program itself. Sure. We... Look, we set out when I got here in 2017, we set out to make UAMS the state leader um, in um, treating substance use disorders. Not, not because, um, you know, for any other reason other than I happened to work at UAMS. And so I had the leverage uh, to, to do it. <laughs> um, but we, we set up the state's first um naloxone distribution program, even before naloxone. Right. We, we've yeah. been giving out naloxone since I think about 2018 or so, 2019. Uh, we set up the first uh, treatment program. So if you come into the UAMS emergency department now in 2023, and you have an opioid use disorder, and you say, you know what, I want help, then you can either stay in our observation unit overnight, and we will induce you on buprenorphine, the life-saving medication that um, treats opioid use disorder, or we'll send you home with it and link you into the Center for Addiction Services Treatment Clinic at the University of Arkansas. So that didn't exist. We built that. I, I don't want to shock you. We had to go through a lot of committees to do that. Sure. So There's a fair amount of work, a fair <laughs> amount of convincing people that this was a problem and that this was the solution, but we did it. And, and today, <clears throat> if you if you come in, we'll treat your opioid use disorder that day, or we'll send you home, thanks to you and, and Akai, we'll send you home with um, life-saving Narcan. Yeah, and, and that's one of the, the things that I think we've seen as a barrier across the state is that connection with treatment at that point where they need it the most and, and maybe are the most open to it. Um, there, there's an old saying that sometimes you have to fall just far enough so that you can see the light above you. Um, yeah. That may be true uh, with the opioid epidemic. Yeah. But we're here. We're here to help. And I, I want people listening to this podcast to know that we are trying to make tomorrow a better day. Yeah. And, and so you, you've been in this space and you've seen it kind of evolve over time. How, how in your opinion, has it really evolved? Um, and are we facing more of a threat or less of a threat? Yeah. So uh, you asked a uh, what I love about you, Craig. You ask an apparently simple question that we could probably spend the rest of the podcast uh, talking about. Um, so of course, 
over time, it's evolved into things that are a lot more dangerous and, and also evolved into things that give me a lot of hope uh, for the future. Let's yeah. talk about some of the worrying stuff. Um, the latest data we have, and I know you've talked about it on this podcast, but it's worth repeating. Absolutely. The latest data we have in the United States showed that almost 107,000 Americans died by overdose in 2021. Mm. And I, I just want to let that number sink in for a minute. 107,000 is more Americans than died in Vietnam, mm. died in the Persian Gulf War, and died in any other military conflict that you can add together over the last 50 years combined. We wow. lost more Americans in one year than all of, all of that. This is a five alarm fire. We have to be talking about this. We have to, and not just the treatment of it, but um, how can we educate folks? How can we learn more about um, the science behind addiction to not only treat people who have um, a substance use disorder, but prevent those who don't from getting one. Yeah. Um, yeah. And so this is a, is a huge problem. So that's the concerning way this has evolved over time. Okay. But I've also seen a lot of really hopeful things that have evolved over time. Yeah. The, the biggest one is your program. We didn't have your program when I arrived here in Arkansas in 2017. We didn't have ACAIS going around the state of Arkansas saying, this is an important problem and we're going to give you the medication and the resources to ed educate your patients. Yeah. Um, people are talking about this now and I, I think it's a, a hopeful thing. Um, so. And I think that's, that's very good. You know, that's, that leads into my next question, which I think is, I think is a hard question maybe not, maybe not for you, but theoretically, um, you know, some people are impacted by this directly. I think a lot more people are impacted by it directly than, you know, your, your historical, uh, drug challenges. Um, but sometimes you run into people who say that that doesn't matter to me. Those are, those are people who are addicted. Um, and that's just their problem. And my question is, why should efforts to address this problem matter to everyone, regardless of direct impact? Yeah, that's another one of those great questions that seems simple to ask and difficult to, to answer. But you know what? I'll, I'll do my best. So um, I get the same pushback, Dr. Wilson. Why are you trying to help these people? Um, addiction is a choice. And we can debate if you want the, the science behind addiction. But what we know about addiction right now is that it is a combination of risk factors and brain changes that make it difficult for people to put down the substance. Mm -hmm. um, you'll hear people who have, have recovered from addiction, you'll hear them say things like, I lost my mind. I couldn't be reasoned with, I had to do whatever I could. By the way, this idea that there's some combination of um, what the individual does and perhaps even a little genetic susceptibility and perhaps environmental factors as well, mm -hmm. it's no different than diabetes. Mm -hmm. We know that uh, diabetes type two, by the way, one of the biggest risk factors is being overweight. So the, the biggest reason people should care 
if you haven't already been directly impacted, is that we know we can treat this disease like we do diabetes. And if you're going to give up on someone with a substance use disorder because the first couple of times they find it hard to stop using, then you kind of also logically have to give up on the person with diabetes who can't seem to get their weight under control or take their medication. You have to give up on the person with cancer um, who couldn't really stop smoking, right? You have to give up on the person with heart disease who couldn't get their cholesterol under control. The, the theme here is um, these are medical problems. We can treat them, all of them, all of the ones I mentioned, heart disease, cancer, diabetes, all of them involve some action by the individual. Substance use disorders are no different. Yeah. So you mentioned buprenorphine. We can treat it, right? That's probably, that's one of the things that's working, maybe not as broadly distributed as we would hope, right? But my question is, what is working and what are we just not getting right? Yeah, so the you know the the field of um, of addiction science has made just leaps and bounds over the last 10, 20 years. Um, and the things that we're getting right are all the things you just mentioned. Um, you know, ACI is now sponsoring on, on the locks home program. That's huge. Um, and I know we're not here to, to talk about what an amazing organization ACI is, but you know what? ACI is an amazing organization. And they're Thank pushing uh, well, and they're and they're and they're pushing. I'll take it. Yeah. Well, <laughs> well, and they're and and you guys are distributing, as you mentioned in the introduction, um, free naloxone to over forty hospitals in the state. Those are forty hospitals that now have programs to help people who come in who either had an overdose, might be at risk of an overdose, or might know somebody mm-hmm. who might overdose. That's huge. We now have um, buprenorphine, and until literally until January, um, it required special training for physicians on top of their DEA license. That's now all been removed. Um, we are talking finally about how we can get people into treatment and the, import- the importance of doing that. So all of these things um, are are cause for hope and they're things that we're getting right. So I I definitely don't want to leave a gloom and doom message here. That's good. What else can we be doing that we're just not? You know, I I used that um, metaphor of sometimes falling far enough uh, that you can see the light above you. Um, And that was an intentional metaphor because I think we really need to bring addiction out of the dark. Mm. Addiction thrives in the dark. Mm. Um, look, if st- being stigmatizing or making substance use disorder stigmatizing would have worked, then AA would have solved the problem of alcohol use disorder 50 years ago. Yeah. And don't get me wrong, AA is an amazing organization. They've helped lots of people, but um, they do that by bringing people into the light, by helping people mm holding them accountable. And we need to do that with other substance use disorders as well. Yeah. Um, and that's what, that's where our next challenges are. Bringing this into the light. I, I think that's a great, great metaphor. Um, and, and, you know, through our work and your work and everybody else's work kind of normalizing 
the treatment of this. Although there are some who are still a little hesitant, right? So what would you tell those clinicians who are still hesitant to offer treatment? Um, so the clinicians or the, the general public who might still be hesitant? Look, I, you know, I get it when someone on the street says, hey, um, Dr. Wilson, aren't what you are doing, aren't you just helping people go out and use again? You give them uh, a vial of Narcan, you save their life, and they just, they're just going to go out and use again. And to those folks, I would say, no, I'm giving them a second chance to get into treatment. Mm. If they use fentanyl and they die at home without anyone giving them Narcan, I can't fix that. No one can. But we can give them an extra opportunity for treatment. Your question wasn't about the person on the street. Your question was about what do I say to the, the clinicians? Yeah. And to that, it's a different argument. If there's a doctor listening to this um, who doesn't want to treat people with a treatable disorder, I think they need to ask why they're in medicine. I'll let that just resonate. <laughs> in the, sure. I gave a little pause of silence just to let that sit. It was nice. It was nice. I, I'm hoping that, that post-production, they can put in some uh, you know, somber music or something. You're right. <laughs> Um, so this is not, this is not the first time we've had an opioid challenge in our nation and it won't be, um, the last time likely that we'll have an opioid challenge or any other drug challenge. Right. So what can we learn from this go round in this epidemic that can prepare us for whatever the next drug of choice is? Well, we know what that is. And that's most likely to be xylazine which yeah. is making a, a huge inroads into many other states. Tell, tell us a little bit about xylazine, because may, maybe our listeners don't know. Sure. Is. It's a new drug of choice. It's a, you know, a very potent sort of veterinary that came over from veterinary medicine and um, that we don't always have good reversal agents for. Mm. Right. Um, and I'll just say um, in, in answer to the question, what can we do to prepare if it is xylazine? If it's not xylosine, the answer is the same. And that is um, to all the parents out there, this is the time to sit down with your kids and explain very clearly what your values are, not shying away from a topic. You're not going to put the idea in their head. Um, nobody uh, who I've met who's recovered from a substance use disorder said, ah, you know, I never really thought about it till my parents have Frank talk with me, right? <laughs> yeah. Nobody. Nobody has said that. So parents, now's the time to talk to your children about your values, about the dangers um, of substances, um, and model those behaviors for your kids. Yeah. As a parent of a 10 and a 7-year-old, both boys, I take that to heart. <laughs> so my final question of you is... Um, if there were one piece of advice that you would give to someone wanting to get involved in this line of work, what would that be? Um, that's a great question. There are so many um, community groups that you can get involved in. Mm -hmm. um, but even if you're not the type of person to undergo further training and get involved in the community, um, the most important thing you can do is be that person so that when someone has reached that rock bottom and they realize they need help, 
that you can be the person that they come to, mm. that you can talk with them openly and honestly without shaming them and trying to get them into to treatment. Um, you know, meth, I know we're not talking about meth, but it had to come up at some point in this conversation. Sure. Um, meth until a couple of years ago was the leading cause of drug overdose death in Arkansas. It's now been replaced by fentanyl. And when people talk to me about an individual who uses meth, it's often in very terrible terms, like, um, this, I can't believe this person do that there, um, you know, that they would use this drug. And I always flip the question around of, if the person who is using meth knows that meth is bad for them and knows that, that everyone else around them doesn't approve, why are they still using it? Hmm. And that goes to those long lasting brain changes that we talked about earlier. I've never met someone who has a serious meth use disorder or a severe meth use disorder that we would, we would say, who says, yeah, I don't care what the, the critics are saying. I'm doing this for my health. I feel so much better afterwards. No, they know, they know that um, it, you don't approve. They know it's bad for them, but they can't stop. Yeah. So the most important thing that someone listening to this podcast can do is to reach out and be a friend to someone with a substance use disorder. And just like with cancer or with diabetes or with heart disease, there's going to be ups and downs. Mm -hmm. It's a long-term illness. It's not a short-term fix. Um, and being that person, being that friend by their side, it's going to be a, a great thing over perhaps months to years. Yeah. That's great advice, Dr. Wilson. I really appreciate you uh, sharing your expertise on our 41st episode. And uh, maybe we can have you back sometime in the future when you've got something else that uh, you're, you're getting your hands dirty in. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, There's always something I, that comes through the emergency room, right? That's mm -hmm. and something new. That's right. I should reassure the listeners of the podcast. I always do wash my hands before I touch them. <laughs> that's great. So, uh, so don't worry, even if my hands are dirty, the, the Narcan is clean. So that's great. Well, thank you so much. I've enjoyed it. Thank you so much. Thank you for listening to Wonks at Work. You can listen to our bi-weekly podcast on our website, achi.net. A special thanks to the Bobby L. Roberts Library of Arkansas History and Art, which is a part of the Central Arkansas Library System for allowing us to use their studio to record. If you have any topics you would like for us to consider, please email us at achi at achi.net. As a reminder, the views, information, and opinions expressed by our podcast guests are solely those of the guests and do not necessarily represent those of the Arkansas Center for Health Improvement. The primary purpose of this podcast is to educate and inform. The podcast does not constitute medical, legal, or other professional advice or services. We hope you've enjoyed our latest episode, and again, thanks for listening.